0: Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled Authentic Walk. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. At approximately 8.12 p.m. on Sunday, October 30th, 1938, Reporters uh, A reporter's voice broke into popular primetime radio programming that evening with this eerie phrase. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. It was the night before Halloween, and a large meteor had crashed into a farmer's field in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, just outside of New York City. Another reporter who was live at the scene began to describe what looked like a large metallic cylinder in the meteor's crater. Out of the cylinder, one Martian after another placed their tentacles on Earth's soil for the first time and climbed out of the crater with bodies as big as bears. The reporter said that their skin glistened like wet leather and their eyes were black with the gleam of a serpent. The reporter then describes these Martians mounting on walking war machines that fired heat rays and released a poisonous gas that annihilated 7,000 National Guardsmen that had responded to the scene. The news caused a panic to break out in pockets around our country, who, uh, families on Sunday night back then huddled around the radio because this is before television and the internet and smartphones and things like that. So in New Jersey, uh, because that was the supposed location of the meteor strike and the invasion where it was starting, terrified civilians literally, this, this really happened, jammed the highways trying to escape the invasion Others begged police and drove to police stations and begged the police for gas masks and called lecture companies, asking them to shut off power service to their homes so that the Martians wouldn't see the lights of their house. One woman who was listening in Indianapolis ran into a church where evening services were being held and yelled, New York has been destroyed! It's the end of the world! Go home and prepare to die! Now, just in case you hadn't realized it yet, that didn't actually happen. We weren't invaded in 1938. Yet, this special news bulletin on that fateful night in 1938 was, it was, well, fake news. It was actually a dramatic reenactment of the H.G. Wells science fiction novel, War of the Worlds. It was being directed that night uh, in a a radio studio by 23-year-old Orson Welles. Welles wanted to make his show so gripping that listeners wouldn't even think of changing the channel on their radio. He accomplished this by employing some cutting-edge special effects at at the time, sound effects, and he also coached his actors on how to do an excellent job of sounding terrified, like they were really witnessing what was being described in H.G. Wells' classic book. What resulted was a primetime radio broadcast that was so compelling, so cunning, and so convincing that thousands of listeners thought it was real news. In fact, I, it was, it's interesting, I was doing a lot of reading up on this. The, the actor who played the reporter that was going to be on scene in Grover's Mills, New Jersey, actually went back and listened to a recording of the live Hindenburg footage from just a few years earlier when the Hindenburg crashed to get some tips and pointers on how to describe something traumatic and you know, dramatic taking place in front of him for radio listeners. That's, how, that's just an example of the great links they went to to make War of the Worlds over radio sound real. Well, historians believe the biggest cause of the panic was not only the realisticness, I'm not sure if that's a word, but of the broadcast, but also the timing in which most listeners tuned in. You see, on that evening, a majority of listeners would tune in at eight o'clock to the most popular, highest rated show was on NBC radio, and it was a ventriloquist named Edgar Bergkin and his dummy Charlie McCarthy. Well, at about 8.12, 12 minutes past the hour, NBC went to a commercial break, and so, imagine back then not liking commercials, people channel surfed, and they flipped over to CBS, where Orson Welles and his troupe were doing the live reenactment of War in the Worlds, what they missed when they flipped over to CBS to hear Orson Welles is they missed the introduction at eight that said, "This is what we're doing, basically. We're, we're, you know, you're now listening to uh, War of the Worlds." When they tuned in at eight twelve, it sounded like a breaking news broadcast. So, interestingly, the FCC actually investigated CBS for the show and found that no laws had been broken. The FCC was responding to a public outcry over people being deceived by the uh, play, the radio play. Years later, Wells maintained that he never intended the radio play to be a hoax. He just wanted it to be gripping and compelling and as realistic as possible. And he never anticipated the chaos that it would create. The Orson Welles War of the Worlds story is rock-solid proof that there is a lot of fake news out there. Fake news has been leading people away from the good news ever since the Christian church began. And this is what the Apostle John wants to warn us about. As we continue our series in 1st John called Authentic Walk. Would you open your Bibles with me to 1st John chapter 2? And I want to invite you to also take out your sermon notes and follow along with me as we look at 1st John 2. If you forgot your Bible, just raise your hands. We can loan you one of ours. We've got plenty to go around. We want you to be able to follow along and see what we're talking about this morning. Our theme verse for this series is 1 John 2, verses 4 and 6. I should say theme verses. Uh, If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to underline them in your Bible or highlight them. Uh, Let's read it out loud together. 1 John 2, verses 4 and 6. Whoever says, I know him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Throughout this series, this venerable ministry veteran John, who's in the sunset of his life, is going to say, and he has been saying to us in several different ways, and he's coming at it from several different angles, this one simple truth. Real Christians really walk with Christ. John has been telling us with a no-nonsense boldness, if you claim to know Jesus, then love him. Walk with him. Be like him, sacrifice for him, and if necessary, suffer for him. 1 John, you might remember from my background earlier in the series, uh, is a book of concern. The apostle was trying to course correct some trends that he saw developing at the end of the first century that were very disturbing to him. One of his concerns was false teachers spreading false gospels that were creating false converts. Thus, our big idea for today is this, uh, the sermon in a sentence, or my argument that I want to try and prove, and it's this, that real Christ followers know the difference between fake news and the good news. Real Christ followers know the difference between fake news and the good news. We're going to see here in today's text that John demonstrates both a pastoral concern but also prophetic correction regarding the topic of false teachers. But don't forget that this elderly minister had watched Jesus die, buried Jesus' mother, and outlived all his fellow Apostles, his best friends, 11 other apostles, all of whom were martyred. Violently martyred, I should add. Given what John has witnessed during his lifetime of gospel ministry, let's look at what he has to say and how he feels about those that would change or distort the gospel message that Jesus preached. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19 in 1 John 2. John says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us... They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Here's the first point on your outline, the first thing that John is telling us, and that is that false teachers are for real. Or to quote my teenagers, for real? Yeah, for real. They're for real. And I think this needs to be said because there seems to be a myth in American church culture that any church that hangs out a shingle in the name of Jesus is a real church. Or any minister that quotes a Bible verse or mentions Jesus is actually representing the Lord. This is simply not true. But it's sad that many American Christians believe this. Notice in the text in verse, 11, uh, verse 18, Excuse me, John says it is at the last hour. Just in case you're reading that and you're wondering, well, if that was the last hour back then at the end of the first century, and I know pastors said a couple weeks ago that John wrote this about 90 to 95 AD, then what's taking so long with the last hour? Because now we're in 2018. Well, we got to remember that God doesn't see time the way we do. And we need to remember, like, in Psalm 90, verse 4, it says, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's passed or as a watch in the night. So, so what seems like to us 2,018 years to the Lord is just a snap of the finger. It's instantaneous. John says the Antichrist is coming, but now there are many Antichrists that have come. He's using the word Antichrist in two ways to describe two different people. And so this is one word with two different meanings. I'll illustrate this, or it'll be on the screen behind me on the keynote. There is, first of all, the Antichrist, capital A, that's mentioned in End Times Prophecy, Revelation 13, chapter 19, chapter 20. Uh, John is saying here, you know the Antichrist is coming. That's the capital A, Bad beast guy in Revelation. But then he says, many antichrists have come. Small a, he's referring to false teachers in the second example. False teachers that oppose the gospel. They are anti, they are against Christ. John then says in verse 19, they went out from us. He's clarifying these false teachers used to be members of the Christian community, but they were not actually of us. In fact, their going out proves they were really not part of us. They weren't on the team. They were, they were, they were just sort of hanging out. They were, they were not roadies, but they were, uh, they were groupies. They were just kind of hanging out, enjoying the benefits, but they weren't actually on our team. What were these false teachers communicating that was so bad? Well, I won't bore you with some of the historical details of the various groups, but let me just say, uh, for the sake of time, some taught that Jesus was not really God. Some taught that Jesus was not really man. Some believed that the resurrection didn't actually take place. All these are distortions of the gospel that are significant, and they create significant problems, and they undermine God's desire to redeem people through the message of the gospel. There are several places in the New Testament that warn believers not to be led astray by false teachers. I'm not sure if you realize this, but I I discovered this this week in my studies. Just about every church that an apostle wrote to in the New Testament was warned about false teachers or had false teachers in it. I never actually realized that until this week. Let me just show you a few examples uh, on the screen behind me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is where Paul corrected the Corinthians for believing false teachers. So that's the church in Corinth there. Then there's Galatia. The churches in the, in the region of Galatia. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. Paul rebuked the Galatians for believing false teachers there. They were Judaizers. Then there's Colossians 2, the church in Colossae, where Paul urged the church in Colossae to resist false teachers. Don't believe them, what they're telling you, he says. And then there's Timothy, who was ministering in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4, chapter 6, verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, Paul warned Timothy about false teachers in Ephesus. Oh, and then there's Titus, who was on Crete, Another part of the world, several hundred miles away, an island off the coast of Italy, isolated in the Mediterranean. There's false teachers there too. Paul talked about those to Titus in chapter 1, verse 10, verses 10 and 11. And then there's Second Peter, where Peter devoted an entire chapter to exposing false teachers. I say this because I want you to realize that when believers don't know the scriptures well, they are more likely to follow false teachers who stir their emotions with fake news. Just because someone is able to move your emotions doesn't mean they're actually telling you truth. The famous French military leader Napoleon was famous for this. He had the incredible ability to stir emotions of the common man to demonstrate uncommon valor and patriotism. One of the ways that Napoleon did this was by telling a story to various uh, regiments that he would visit to inspire the troops. He told a story about a soldier that he met once while visiting troops on a battlefront. And then he repeated this story every time he would go out to visit troops to increase morale. Apparently, this soldier was missing an arm that he had lost in battle, and so the soldier proudly wore the coveted Legion of Honor medal uh, on his uniform. So Napoleon asks the soldier in this supposed story, how did you lose your arm? And the soldier replies, at Austerlitz, sir. And then Napoleon asks him, and so for that, you receive the Legion of Honor medal? Yes, sir. It's a small token to pay for a decoration. To which Napoleon says, in this supposed story, you must be the kind of man who regrets he did not lose both arms for his country. To which the soldier then replies, well then what would have been my reward? And Napoleon then declares, I would have awarded you a double legion of honor. And then according to Napoleon's version of the story, as he repeats this and recounts this to various regiments that he visits, the patriotic soldier then draws his sword and immediately cuts off his other arm. The story circulated throughout the French army for several years without ever being questioned because it was Napoleon and it was inspiring. Until finally somebody, one soldier, finally years later went, wait a minute, how does a one-armed soldier cut off his other arm? I know some of you are going, oh, now I get it, okay. Yeah, oh, 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 I, okay, see, then if, oh, I got it, okay. Okay, I'm picking up what you're laying down, Pastor Carey. Well, here's, here's an application that comes to mind, um, I think from the first couple of verses here, verses 18 and 19, and it is we need to accept the prevalence of false teachers. If... If they're mentioned in just about every New Testament church, you know as well as I do when we're doing Bible study, repetition means something. When, when the Holy Spirit inspires the authors of Scripture to repeat something, we need to go, okay, heads up, what's, what's going on here? There seems to be this naive gullibility in our country that thinks only cult leaders are false teachers, like David Koresh or Jim Jones. Like you've got to be like one of those guys, have your own army, your own compound. Like oh, that's a false teacher. They're weird. They're odd. They have multiple wives. They're incest. All that. I mean, they're the weirdos. Honestly. I think the evil one doesn't put a lot of resources into those kinds of cult leaders. They're not his best operatives. Instead, and that's because it's too overt for the evil one. It's too obvious a strategy that he won't use them that often. Because they don't actually, you know, those kinds of cult leaders don't get that many followers, really, instead, the adversary is usually more subversive in his strategies. We know from Paul's writings of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 12.4, uh, he says the, uh, the, the uh, adversary masquerades like an angel of light. He makes things look really good so that we'll be deceived. This is why I think it's important to note that all the false teachers in the New Testament I mentioned a few minutes ago were among the churches where the apostles were ministering. They were in the churches and doing their stuff. The adversary thus has false teachers in every denomination, every size of church, and every community. We'll talk more about how to discern them Uh, later in this message, but also John's going to come back to this topic in 1 John 4, in chapter 4, where that message will be called Walking in Discernment, part 2. Let's look back at the text, verse 20 and 21. John says, "...but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth." Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Here's number two on your outline. Authentic Christians know truth and practice discernment. Authentic Christians know truth and practice discernment. John says you've been anointed by the Holy One. That's a reference to the indwelling Holy Spirit that's given to every born-again believer at the point of their conversion. In John 14, verse 26, we're told the Spirit was sent to remind us of God's truth as recorded in His Word. In John 16, verse 13, we're also told the Spirit helps guide us into truth. The Holy Spirit always leads and speaks in conjunction with what God's Word has already said. He doesn't reveal any new things. So thus, John says... It's not because you don't know the truth. There's an assumption here that the believers that John was writing to know the Scriptures, and the Scriptures reveal truth. So what is truth? Well, here's a quick definition for you. Truth is that which is based on objective fact in indisputable reality. It's that which is based on objective fact in indisputable reality. Unfortunately, objective truth has become a thing of the past in our culture, Sincerity has become the new truth. Have you noticed that? It's, the world says now, it, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you believe it with your whole heart. And if you believe it with your whole heart, that has now become, quote, your truth. Your personal, individualized truth. The problem with this is that sincerity is just as deceitful As stirring the emotions, and so thus, when believers don't know the scriptures well, they are more likely to follow false teachers who are sincere with their fake news. Just because someone is sincere doesn't mean what they believe is true. I could believe with my whole heart that I can play basketball just as well as LeBron James. But I can't. Doesn't matter how much I believe it. And if you're Levar Ball, you believe that, but he's still, he's got his own truth there. Take, for example, the story I recently read about uh, the Lasante prison in Paris, France. It, It was built in 1867 and was so heavily fortified that only six prisoners we were able to successfully escape from it in its first 60 years of existence. That all changed in 1927, though, when a prisoner named Leon Daudet uh, effortlessly walked out through the front gates. Well, how did he do that? What was his elaborate escape plan? What was it like in those movies about Alcatraz? Did they like, you know, dig a trench with a spoon for five years or something? No, no, no. Not this guy. In 1927, Leon Dade, he, he had a friend call the warden to tell him with convincing sincerity that Leon had been pardoned. And so the warden, without checking, believed the phone call from Leon's friend. And it released him. Discernment. Since we're talking about authentic Christians know truth and practice discernment, discernment is the ability to distinguish between what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong, what's pleasing to the Lord and what's not pleasing to the Lord. It's being able to separate things that seem to mingle together and to parse them, to discern. So how do we gain it? Well, here's our application We gain it by learning real truth in Scripture. We gain it by learning real truth in Scripture. Anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ needs to make learning the Scriptures a daily discipline and a lifelong study assignment. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, tells us that there are some who unfortunately have neglected their study of the Scriptures and thus have stunted their spiritual growth and thus have to relearn the basics of the faith over again. And the author of Hebrews says, says they're, they're so immature spiritually that they need milk, they can't handle solid food. But then he says, others though that have matured, that have discernment, got it. By training and practicing in the scriptures. They they discipline themselves in the study of the scriptures. He uses the words practice and training. Besides showing us how to love the Lord and reminding us how much he loves us, God's word is knowing is an absolutely non negotiable for a professing believer. And now in the 21st century with all the apps and books and resources that we have and the internet and study tools that are available to us, there's just no excuse not to know the scriptures. We we have no excuse. We can't say like 200 years ago before the printing press was built, oh, I don't have a copy of the Bible or I can't afford a copy of the Bible because that was the problem 200, 300 years ago. Nowadays we have access to it. So knowing the Scriptures is a non-negotiable, and that's because believers that don't know truth become victims of deceivers. So if you don't commit to daily studying the Scriptures and then making it your lifelong study assignment, you are setting yourself up to be duped, to be fooled by fake news. It's dangerous, I think, too, to assume that the Lord will have compassion on those that followed false teachers when he has provided so many true ones. And he's provided his word and so many resources to study it. So we need to be careful not to presume on the Lord's compassion. Like, oh, you know, he'll understand that I was busy. I didn't have time to study. I was traveling a lot. Or I had a lot of kids. Or my kids were in sports. Or I wanted to watch the news instead in the morning. Or get on social media. Or whatever. No, no. When we stand before the Lord, there will be no excuses for failing to know his word. Thus, real Christ followers know the difference between good news and fake news. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me now. He says, uh, he continues on, verse 23, "...no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also." Here's number three in your outline. False teachers oppose the true gospel. They're against it. They want to stop it. They don't want it spreading. And I honestly think many false teachers don't even know they're being used by the adversary. I think they're blind and naive to know that the adversary is using them to lead others away from the true gospel of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We've already seen that John calls them antichrist. They are anti-Christ. They are against Christ. They, they oppose his message, Jesus' message. In, in this context, though, in Ephesus, where John was most likely ministering, there were false teachers denying the deity of Christ or disassociating Christ the Son from God the Father. Now, there are countless other gospel distortions that have developed since then, and they vary from context to context. Why does John hate and God hate false teachers? Well, here's uh, A, B, C, D and E on your outline. We give you five characteristics of false teachers. The first thing is they add to the gospel. Some false teachers add to the gospel. A common example of this is uh, legalism. You've heard the term, I'm sure. I call it the performance gospel. This is the false gospel that subtly teaches that good works are required to earn salvation because Christ's work on the cross wasn't sufficient. It's not the same as discipleship. You see, discipleship and following Christ is we should want to do good works if we know Jesus because we love Jesus, but those good works don't save us. Some that don't want to follow Christ somehow twist that and say, oh, well, that's legalism requiring me to walk with Christ. That's heresy, actually. (laughs) I think it was A.W. Tozer once said, if we start to call discipleship legalism, we commit heresy. If we start to call obedience legalism, that's heresy. (laughs) That's not true. In Crete and Galatia, false teachers claimed that men had to be circumcised in order to be saved. In Ephesus, false teachers claimed that you needed to avoid marriage and certain foods in order to be a legitimate Christian. These are just some examples of performance based gospels. So, A, they add to the gospel. But, B, some false teachers, you want to guess what that one is? Subtract from the gospel. They subtract, they take things out of it. The most common and popular example of this in our culture today is what I call the permissive gospel. The permissive gospel is so popular because it offers forgiveness without having to repent and forsake the sin that Jesus died for. The permissive gospel says, Come, God loves you, and, and you can have forgiveness, and, and, and you don't have to suffer anymore, and just walk with the Lord. You can go to heaven, and you don't have to change. You can keep on living the way you're living. This leads to a lot, a lot of professions' faith, because... Who wouldn't want that? You mean I can keep my sin that Jesus died for, and that's the whole reason we got into this mess. The whole reason I was separated from God is my sin. Jesus died for my sin, so I can go to heaven and still have my sin? Sign me up. I want that. But it's heresy. So it leads to a lot of professions of faith because there will always be more people who want to receive eternal life without having to give up their sin. Another manifestation of this hyper-grace gospel is the lie that you can claim Jesus as Savior, but you don't have to make him your Lord. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, that a gospel without godliness is a false gospel. Thus, subtracting the vegetables from the gospel we don't like and keeping only the sweets that we like leaves us basically with big numbers, but it doesn't populate heaven. And the adversary loves that. The 19th century British Bishop J.C. Ryle once said this about false teachers and their doctrine. He says, the plain truth is that false doctrine has been the chosen device which Satan has employed in every age to stop the progress of the gospel of Christ. Finding himself unable to prevent the fountain of life from being opened, he has labored incessantly to poison the streams which flow from it. If he could not destroy it, he has too often neutralized its usefulness by addition, subtraction, or substitution. Spot on. Here's letter C. Another characteristic of false teachers. They teach what is empty and deceptive. This is in Ephesians 5, verse 6, Colossians 2, verse 8, Titus chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. In essence, what the apostles are saying, or John, excuse me, Paul, he's writing to the Ephesians of Colossians and to Titus, Paul basically says, there's no spiritually nutritious calories in their teaching. It's like candy. It tastes good. It's what you want to hear. There's no substance to it. It leaves your soul still feeling hungry. It's void of truth. Next, they are financially motivated, letter D. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talked about this. Today, I call it the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel preachers are often guilty of this. They get rich ripping Bible verses from their context and making promises that God never made. And they do all that instead of enriching God's people with the true gospel. Paul spends most of 2 Corinthians trying to establish his own credibility. And he sort of has to... It's a struggle for him. It's a fascinating read in 2 Corinthians when you understand what Paul's trying to do. He, he's trying to deal with, in the ESV, they're, they're called super apostles. Um, he's trying to, without sounding prideful... He's trying to be humble, but he's trying to also prove he's legit because the Corinthians were believing these super apostles who were teaching false doctrine. They were better looking than Paul. They were better speakers than Paul. They were polished and and looked good, whereas there are suggestions, there are hints throughout the New Testament that Paul was not a great speaker, that he was short and ugly. Seriously. So... But that's why Paul says, hey, God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the the weak to show that he's strong. Paul was able to say all that because he's like, look at me, you know. But the Corinthians were being deceived by super apostles. And because these false teachers are financially motivated, he actually calls them peddlers of the gospel, like door-to-door salesmen. Selling the gospel to get rich off of. Letter E, they are morally corrupt. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter says false teachers don't apply the word to themselves. They teach things that they aren't willing to do. He describes them as selfish, sensual, and greedy. They oppose the gospel by undermining it with their lack of godly character. So how do we apply this? Third point, false teachers oppose the true gospel. Well, I think we need to identify and avoid false teachers. This comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is where Paul prayed for the Philippians that they would abound more and more in their knowledge of the scriptures and discernment. It's interesting to see that in verses 9 and 10 of Philippians 1, Paul puts knowledge and discernment in the same sentence, meaning one comes after the other. Your knowledge of the Scripture should increase your discernment so you can distinguish what is good and evil. And Paul felt that was so important, he was praying that and wrote the prayer out for the Philippians. So they would know the true gospel and be pure and blameless. You see, according to Paul and other apostles, when, when someone gets saved, they're born again, they're like a toddler who, who has to learn the difference between a Cheerio and a toy. And those of you who've had kids and grandkids know that a, a critical point of development for a child is when they no longer pick toys up and put it in their mouth, thinking it's food. Well, sadly, there are some believers that never mature to the point where they they stop putting everything in their mouth that they hear. They, they're not able to discern the difference. Thus, that's why there's word pictures used by Paul and Peter about solid food and milk and knowing the difference, using that word picture of child development and spiritual development. You see, that means, folks, that a website, a book deal, a media tour... A stadium full of people wanting to hear a preacher, a $5,000 suit, impressive oratory skills, a large church building, or a television ministry do not mean that a preacher is credible. That's, That's all surface stuff. And what God's Word calls us to do is look beyond the surface and listen to what they're actually saying. Listen to the content of their message. There are some true teachers of the gospel that have large churches, that wear nice clothes. I'm not saying that all those things I mentioned are signs that they're a false teacher. There are some that are legitimate, solid, gifted preachers of the gospel that have books and websites and things like that. The difference is in what they say. The Lord wants us to know his word so well that we are able to listen to content, watch it, listen to a podcast, open a book up and go through it and go, no, wait a minute, that's not true because I know in God's word right here, it says this or That is true, man. He's preaching truth because I know it says right here in this chapter, in this verse, it says this. That's what the Lord wants for us, where we can discern that's true, that's not. Some believers move to this level of maturity and some don't, and those that don't can be tricked by fake news. Look at verses 24 to 27 as we wrap up today's text. John says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Let me just stop right there. Verse 26 is another purpose statement. You might remember I mentioned at the beginning of this series that John lists throughout the book a few goals that he has. And this is one of them. He's writing so that we would not be deceived. In chapter 1, he says, I write so that you might not sin, and I write so that you might have joy. Well, here he's saying, I'm writing, by the way, so you won't be deceived. Verse 27, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. All right, here's the final point. Number four, authentic Christians interpret scriptures, the scriptures in community. Authentic Christians interpret the scriptures in community. There is is no room, no permission for Lone Ranger Christians in the Bible. Now, verse 27 has often been misinterpreted and taken out of context. This is where John says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Some have used this for an argument against human teaching. Uh, They falsely use this as, you know, all I need is me and the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and I can just figure out what God wants me to do at home all by myself. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Hmm, okay, that's dangerous. Because the Scriptures describe the church as a community of believers sitting under the authority of elders that are trained in how to teach the scriptures. You know as well as I do, you can take just about any verse in the Bible and make it say what you want it to say. So, John is not saying you don't need human teachers. Instead, he's saying, and by the way, if John was really saying that, then he wouldn't have wrote this letter. Just saying. He means that the Holy Spirit is the primary source of illumination, not human teachers. The Spirit uses human teachers, but doesn't want us depending only on human teachers for our spiritual growth. This is what the Antichrist were trying to get John's audience to do, the believers in Ephesus. The Antichrist wanted them to ignore the Holy Spirit, just trust us, just trust what we're telling you, and that was leading them astray. In fact, the Holy Spirit teaches in two ways. He explains the scriptures through human teachers. We know that from Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, he mentioned the spiritual gift of teaching. The Lord has equipped teachers with gifts of teaching so they can help the church. Another way is that the Spirit gives us understanding of the scriptures. So when we hear them taught, we go, Oh, I get it. We're, our minds are illumined. It's 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says that the spiritual man can discern. Truth that the spiritual man can understand what the word says and what it means. Believers should sit under the teaching of trained elders in a local church and study the scriptures on their own at home with the help of reliable resources. Trying to interpret the scriptures all by yourself would be as foolish as trying to be an auto mechanic or a doctor or engineer with no training. Or a dentist, just walking into a dentist's office and grabbing a drill and going to town on somebody. So, where'd you go to dentistry school at? Nowhere. I just decided to let the Spirit lead me. <laughs> woo, 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 woo! <laughs> Do like that sound effect? Even I don't study the Scriptures on my own. I don't mean to give you the impression that I do. I hope I never did. I still rely on my training from Dallas Seminary, my master's degree from there. I still use Bible study tools. I have several in my office at home and a few on the internet that I use. And and, and they're all from the best scholars of the world that have exponentially more wisdom and training than I do. They've given their lives to studying certain books of the Bible and know the historical context and the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff. And I use the Holy Spirit. And if those resources don't work out, I often consult with pastors that have more training than me. Some are in our network. I'll call up another guy. I've done that before. Hey, I'm having a hard time with this passage. You know, I've looked at this commentary, looked at this, and here's what he's saying, and I don't understand. How have you preached this before? Sometimes I get on a podcast from somebody who's much more gifted and schooled than I am, and I'll listen to another guy's sermon uh, who has a, a larger ministry and see how he interpreted a passage as I'm praying. But I seek out those that have tr- more training and know the word better than me. And that's a regular thing. So application, what do we do with this? How do we apply it? Well, we get equipped to study the scriptures in the church. In our church, you can do this by, first of all, consistently sitting under the preaching of the word and taking notes with your Bible open when it's preached. One of the reasons I urge you to do this, and I've tried to teach you how to do this, and I know for many of you, this is, or at least some of you, you never did this before, Vanguard. You just sat passively and listened to the message. But one of the reasons I, I have urged you to open your Bibles, and I ask you to do it every Sunday, is because I want you to learn how to study the Word for yourself, And I I walk through observations, interpretations, and then give applications so that you can learn the process of inductive Bible study. I also do it because I want you to see that it's not me saying it, but it's God's Word saying it. Or to quote a famous president, I want you to trust me, but I want you to verify what I'm saying. Trust, but verify. I want you to look at it and see it for yourself. You should also be studying the Scriptures at home in your daily quiet times and then reviewing what you've learned under the leadership of a a trained small group leader. This is why I'm passionate about small groups. You need to get into a group and study the Word with other believers. This also will help sharpen your discernment skills. So authentic Christians interpret the Scriptures in community. And we get equipped to study the Scriptures In the church. Well, there's a war going on in this world for the souls of men. The adversary has embedded operatives in churches around the world to replace the good news with fake news, so hell is populated instead of heaven. Let's be committed here at Vanguard to learning and proclaiming the good news so this community here at Bakersfield isn't deceived by fake news. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, would you help us to grow in our discernment? Would you help us, Father, to be able to hear and, and, and watch truth and know that it is true and then be able to see what is false and hear what's false and separate the two. Father, would you give us the ability to separate our feelings and emotions for maybe certain authors, preachers, churches, churches, Churches where family members are? Would you help us, Father, to set aside our feelings so that we can discern accurately what those churches are actually teaching? It's been made clear to us today, Lord, that this matters to you. You don't like it when people misrepresent you when they say things about you that are not true. And the apostles didn't like it either. Father, would you help us to be a church that communicates the true gospel of repentance and faith through Jesus Christ alone? Would you help us, Lord, to make quality disciples here in Bakersfield? Would you expose, Lord, false teaching in this community and throughout the state and throughout our country for what it is? And would you bring about a revival in this community in our state and in our country a revival and a return to the true gospel of Jesus Christ of discipleship and repentance and faith and obedience of godliness Father, would you bring back to our memory what we've learned this morning by your Spirit later this week. Would you help us to learn and grow in our knowledge of the Word like Paul prayed for the Philippians. Lord, I pray that for our church. Help us abound in our knowledge of the Scriptures so that we can abound in our discernment. to content and we aren't fooled and duped by outward appearances we love you lord and we thank you for your word and we thank you most of all for jesus it's in his name we pray amen Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Carrie Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.